0: Everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery Is Possible podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me. And you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery Is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, which is a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. And folks, today I want to play for you an interview that I did with Dr. Rob Kelly. He's out of San Antonio, Texas, and the discussion was about trauma in today's policing. And it's a fascinating conversation that Dr. Kelly and I had that really has applications to everybody in society. Uh, It doesn't have to be just police because we all suffer trauma. And so Dr. Kelly and I talk about what trauma is, uh, how it affects you, how it affects the brain, and most importantly, how it affects your uh, addiction issues and the things that we can do to uh, address that and you're gonna not going to want to miss this episode. It, it really is uh, just so educational and, and helpful in, in so many different ways and you can take this information for yourself or you can pass it on to someone that you know that you work with or uh, that you're concerned about. So here we go. This is going to be about 34 minutes long and uh, without further ado, here is my interview with dr rob kelly
1: hey good morning guys welcome to michael varmita and dr rob kelly talking about different topics every single week Good morning michael how are we doing today doing good Excellent. so i know that we uh, we set out during the week to advertise this and that's what i've had so we've got quite a few people watching today and i thought this week's topic because we both you a lot more than me um have police backgrounds we thought we would discussed uh, trauma and PTSD because there is a slight difference in police officers today. So it's going to be about 20, 30 minutes long. I'm going to get into some information that you can use. And again, guys, because we're live on Facebook and we're live on YouTube, send your questions in for myself or Michael and we will answer them going along. So, talk to me about the PTSD or trauma you picked up, Michael, while you were a police officer.
0: Well, so for me, uh, and just for the background of your, your viewers, <clears throat> so I was in the military. I was in the Navy for eight years. Then I was a uh, – when I got out because I'd always wanted to be a police officer, I, I worked in the corrections area first. That's where I started. So I worked in um, in a jail setting, and then uh, I was a Washington, D.C. police officer here, here in Washington, D.C., uh, so big city police officer, and then I went into the FBI for – Uh, just under 21 years and did that. So I experienced the the trauma at all three different levels. And I will say that it's different and and it's kind of interesting because I'm probably going to have even a different perspective on PTSD than than a lot of first responders that you'll have come on here. But uh, you can probably get into specific examples of it, but I'll just give you the the gamut of it. Uh, In the, the corrections area, it was just, you know, working with people in the facility I was at, These are people that are waiting to go to trial for horrific crimes. And some of them were just, uh, you know, you know, when you're dealing with a bad person and you can differentiate that from dealing from a pure evil person and you would do that. There are times when you could look into into somebody's eyes and just realize that you were dealing with pure evil and being with that day in and day out, you know, sometimes 12 hours a day, really has an effect on on your psyche, your emotional state, your spiritual state, uh physical state and uh when we can we can talk a bit more about that there was never any violence that i experienced in the jail but just that constant exposure to this pure evilness now switching to the police department where i was um this i was a washington dc police officer in the mid to late 1990s which if if you're familiar with that city that was at the height of the crack epidemic uh we Washington, the district is only 10 square miles. However, uh, we had the highest homicide rate in the world at the time. We were averaging about one police related shooting per year. And it, it was just, uh, you're talking about a, a police department where your call sheet would be man with gun, man with gun, man with gun, man with knife, man with gun, domestic violence, <laughs> you know, over and over and over. So there were countless brawls that I was in two different shootings, uh, you know, again, just very, 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 very violent. And uh, and again, if we could break that down and get into, into more details and how that worked, but then transitioning to the federal level of law enforcement, I got to tell you there, and this may kind of maybe surprise some listeners, but the difficulty in say the FBI and the federal level of law enforcement was not so much dealing with the subjects that, that we were uh, investigating. But what really bothered me at that point was a lot of the, the ball, bo- the politics, the, <clears throat> you know, some of the people that were doing things that were not, un- not ethical, that really bothered me quite a bit. And, uh, even more so is maybe reporting some of this stuff and bringing it to the attention of others and it n- not being acted upon and th- doing that for years and years and just having that sort of attack your, your psyche and your, uh, morals and ethics really, really bothered me. So it's three different views of law enforcement, three different types of trauma. And what your listeners may be interested in learning more about was not even so much the, the physical part of it, or the, you know, the, the danger of the job, but just how behaviors of others within the organizations can affect you in, in very, very negative ways. So yeah, those were yeah. the three sort of different levels that I experienced. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know I know what people are thinking already when they're tuning in. What's the difference between PTSD and trauma? Because surely it's the same. It is slightly different. So when we talk about PTSD as a whole, it's more of a reoccurring attack on the brain, reoccurring negative attack, than, uh, severe nightmares, you know, and other conditions will get too later. Uh, whereas trauma usually is a specific event. So when you see people coming back from war, or really bad situations or suffering uh, stuff that we don't normally see on a daily basis so the brain's not used to it uh we can look back at uh at several maybe 10 20 30 reoccurring uh, nightmares and reoccurring attacks on the brain uh, that happen. whereas trauma is user specific let me explain trauma being specific sometimes when we're uh, going through childhood something will happen to us so let's say for instance if it's uh, being molested by uncle jimmy and uh, what happens is, when Uncle Jimmy sits next to you, his way of grooming would be to put his arm around you, and that's where it will all start. So that's a traumatic event, specific event. But what happens as we go through life into our teens, our 20s and 30s, is you will have um, trouble with relationships, either male or female. Because every time somebody puts you, their arm around you, that flashback, and in the subconscious brain, Will pick up on that memory because remember, guys, everything is stored as an image in the subconscious brain, and it will take you right back. So unless you do work around that, you're always going to suffer in the future with with trauma and even PTSD. Now we've done some studies in the past that guys coming back from from war or Afghanistan in particular, when we did the studies, God bless you guys. Thank you for your service and a wife of a chronic alcoholic in the household, what we've seen with with the way the brain reacts and the way the imagery was, was there was little difference between the soldier and the housewife. So if you think about it, both are walking around on eggshells, both don't know when it's gonna kick off, both don't know when it's going to be the last day. You know, the same as police officers when they go out every single day. It's amazing how trauma and PTSD can affect us. But what most people do, and this is, you'll back me up here, Mike, is the guys don't want to say anything. Nobody wants to come home as a hero and then crumble in front of people at home going, Oh my God, I'm suffering from this. So what happens is we tend to store and store and store and store. And going back to last week's conversation about the deer being hit by a car but not being killed, the deer will jump up, shake they run off, never suffers from that trauma. In actual fact, you can see that deer crossing the same road with the same car a couple of hours later because it just—it's dealt with. It. It's over. Human beings don't do that. And just like a zip file on a computer, one of these days I'm going to click on it after storing all these images in there and everything's going to come out at once and I won't be able to control everything. And that's kind of what happens with PTSD and trauma. So the severity uh, is very, very slight, but the length, as we go on through life, the trauma sometimes, not always, gets lessened and lessened, where the PTSD never does without intense work. And I'm sure you've seen that many times, Mike.
0: Yeah, I have, I have. Um, well, when, when you're in the police department, and we, we kind of touched upon this last week, there's a big difference between the military and, and police departments. <clears throat> when you're in the military, um, typically, you're going off on a deployment. You're going off on uh, exercises. You know, in the Navy in particular, we would do exercises building up to deployment. Then you would do a deployment. And typically, give or take, it's about six months. You go off into a particular region, maybe a combat region, and then you will come back. And then you will have some downtime, and you will have some training, and then you will you will go back off uh, to do that again, and, and that and that's why you've seen veterans, uh, American veterans, that have had um, uh, numbers of tours, you know, five, six, seven tours, maybe even more, actually, in Afghanistan or or Iraq. And the police department is not that way. In the police department, you it never lets up. There's there's no deployment cycle. There's no training cycle. It is. Um, you're you're on the job and you're having the trauma that you just you just described over and over and over every single day, and this may go on for twenty to thirty years, depending on the the length of of your particular career. And I remember, um, let me just do a little segue here for a second, uh, Doctor Kelly. I remember uh, back when. The whole Derek Chauvin, you remember whole the, the Minneapolis incident yeah, um, yeah. where uh, George Floyd was was murdered up there and he was murdered. We can break that down if you would like, but he was murdered. OK. And so I had a lot of people in law enforcement is the uh, in, in your listeners that are in law enforcement or first responders can maybe relate to this. Law enforcement is the only profession I know of where everybody in the public has an opinion mm-hmm. on the, the job and the profession and and everybody has an opinion and on how it should be fixed, and then they they make those judgments without without having any education or training within that particular profession. And, and what I mean by that is, when the George Floyd incident happened, there were a number of of people on YouTube, on television, and and there was one particular Navy Seal. Uh, I remember that came on and he was on, um, it might've been the Joe Rogan program. I don't remember which platform it was, but I remember seeing this guy talking about what his idea of the solutions for for police were. And his idea was that police needed more training, which I don't argue with, but it, his method of doing it was, um, hey, let's put police officers out there, have them do training, uh, I mean, uh, their job, then pull them out and then go through like a month cycle where all they do is train for a month. And put them back on the street and then periodically bring them off the street to continue doing training. Well, that's fine when you're a Navy SEAL or an Army Ranger or, you know, uh, in the military and you could do it because you're already in those training cycles. There are no training cycles in uh, law enforcement work. Now, we've already gotten to the point where we have defunded the police, we've decimated police departments, we've reduced their size, and you can barely put together enough people on a shift to cover the calls that you have. And now we have people who've never been in law enforcement suggest we're going to take officers off the street and train them for an entire month to put them back as though they're into these military training cycles. The point being is, yes, there's a lack of training, and the point is also that these people are under, are under constant stress, <laughs> along with the public now attacking them, saying that they're they're all bad people and they're inherently racist and all these different types of things. Now, imagine, if you will, you're in that position and you're trying to do your best every day, knowing that you could <laughs> lose your life every single day you go to work and you're getting no support anywhere, no training. But then everybody around you in the community thinks they know better than what you're doing and so it just creates there's so much more stress in in things that contribute to that post-traumatic injury the post-traumatic trauma that you're talking about because then throw on top of that dr kelly anytime you do use uh escalated force or deadly force or any types of those situations you're immediately questioned when i first went into law enforcement the assumption was if you had to use force we're going to assume that you did everything right we are going to assume that you followed the training unless it's proven otherwise. Today, it's the exact opposite. When you use force, we're going to assume that you're wrong until we can prove otherwise. And then even re- that's going to be debatable. And we, and so just imagine if that's your job. How many of you go to work every day with those kinds of standards placed on whatever your profession is?
1: You can I mean, the conditions are absolutely... You know, I, I see police officers over here um, in danger far more than, than British police officers to a certain extent when I was back over there. But every time you get out of a car, every time you approach a situation, every time you go to, you know, search a, a, a guy or, or a woman, you have no idea what's gonna happen, you know? And you have, you have milliseconds to respond to that. Now, going back to the Floyd case, I don't want to get into it particularly, but you have seconds. Yeah. who knows what would have happened to that police officer two months ago where he put someone on the ground they got back up and shot his, his friend i mean we don't know that but every single time the police officer in the wrong can you imagine the trauma every single day going home with that mm-hmm. and, and then you turn on the tv and everyone's anti-police and everybody thinks the police are wrong and you have to go out day after day wearing that uniform or that badge uh every single day knowing quite well that every, there's a microscope on you now Like any profession, there are bad apples with every profession, but I think that we need to look at these these police officers and we need to understand, I think the general public needs to understand what they go through on a daily basis. I mean, for me, this is the honest truth, Mike, for me, it's like the general public being taken to the execution chair every day and then coming out and going, oh, it's not today, you're good. going to watch you you tomorrow (laughs) right i i feel the police officers today especially in america they must be feeling something like that so even if there isn't a a traumatic incident just the trauma from that microscope every single day because everybody's got an answer now with a phone in their hand first amendment rights everyone don't need to give you my id don't need to do this don't need to do that i mean you're right i you are right i get it but the the trauma on the police officers doing that. And then of course, all topping all that night you've got they must feel useful. Uh, sorry, useless. Yeah. They must feel useless in some yeah. situations and that's trauma alone. So it is what have you, what have you seen uh police officers uh get help with trauma? What sort of help have you seen them getting or do they?
0: Oh uh, interesting and I got and and I I know we, we have spoken before about some of the work that I did down at the FBI National Academy where, uh, I created a course called Leading at Risk Employees. Um, if if your listeners want, you can Google that, Google my name, and you'll see uh, you'll you'll see information on that. You can also link to my website, and there's information on the course that we developed down there. And I also wrote an article about what led to why we created that course. Now, the reason why we created that course was in the audience at the FBI National Academy are police executives. And the idea was that we were targeting the police executives with this information because we knew that very little to nothing was being done in helping um, officers, particularly with substance abuse, other issues as well. But that was my main focus was substance abuse because I realized that the, the police executives had little to no training in how to deal with it. Uh, because if you think about police executives they're trained to be police officers right Mm -hmm. but you're not as you move up the ranks um uh, let me just give a little difference when you're when you're a police officer you are a police officer and you move up the ranks into the management positions when you're a military Mm -hmm. officer you're brought in as an officer and you're trained to be an officer and then you Mm -hmm. move up from there a little different system in in the military uh that being said all of your training as a police officer is to be a police officer. But when you become an executive, there's there's little to no training to do that until you're already in the position. And so when it comes to dealing with the issues of the officers, there was a gap. And so we tried to fill that gap with that course, um, leading at risk employees. Now, the more I taught that course, the more I realized how little training nationwide, actually worldwide. Uh, Dr. Kelly, not not just in the United States, but I realized that our partners in the um, <clears throat> countries all over the world were coming to this training, and I was realizing actually, as as poor as the training is in the United States, it may be even less in in other parts of the world. So there's very very little training being done um, on uh, for officers on how to get help, where to get help what to get help for, and that's for the officers, and then for the management, almost no training on how to identify substance abuse issues, PTSD, uh, depression, uh, suicidal ideations, all those kinds of things, very, very little training. And so what I had found out was in law enforcement was that the number one issue for the personnel, and I did my own informal polling. Again, we talk about that on the website. Um, No training on it. But when you talk to the executives, if when when they talk about their day to day routines, one of the biggest issues they have every single day are their personnel and the problems that they have with their personnel can stem back to trauma, can stem back to uh, substance abuse, can stem back to all these issues that we're talking about. But they have no training in it, even though that's one of their biggest problems. And that's got to be addressed. And when we talk about these incidents like uh. George Floyd's incidents in, in Minneapolis or a number of other incidents that were legitimate, that were bad, because you talked about bad apples. When we talk about these incidents, it would be interesting to go back and look at if uh, issues with those police officers had been addressed much <clears throat> earlier in their careers. What impact would that have had on the very incident that made it into the press to begin with? You know, wow. if we want to and, I, and this is the thing with me, defunding <coughs> the police, we talk about shutting police officers down, mm-hmm. but I've not heard any talk in, in the public media about addressing the mm-hmm. issues that led to these behaviors in the first place and putting the resources into addressing those issues. I've heard no talk of that whatsoever. So this is an important area. It's important mm-hmm. for the officer, but it's also important for the public. OK, because we can't keep going down this mm-hmm. this this road. But we have to change that discussion in in police work to address those officers and then to take care of them. So ultimately, it's in the public's best interest that we address these issues.
1: Well, when, when we talk about the bad apples in any any uh, any work environment, when we talk about police officers in particular because when you put that uniform badge on, you know you're working for the public and, and you've got to do your best in the, the training and stuff like that. But do you think there's a correlation between somebody has turned into you know i'd rather do this and, and and maybe you know i don't know put somebody in danger because i've seen this time so many times before do you think some of them just kind of give up and go okay i'm just going to protect myself and they go into these situations harder than they should with with less tolerance than they should because they've seen so much in the past that's put them at danger they're just sick and tired of it do you think yeah. that's the case with some of those guys do you think we could save some of those bad apples
0: yeah, uh, so it's interesting that you say that because I do talk to a lot of police officers and what what more and more police officers are doing is just do nothing. I, I, I've lost track of how many police officers recently have said, you know what, the best way to not get in trouble, the best way to not be criticized is to do nothing. Just roll my windows up, lock the doors in the car and I, I will not initiate traffic stops. I will not initiate any contact with the public. I won't do anything unless it's specifically a nine one one call, and I've been directed to that that situation. We don't want that, right? That's that's not helping the community at all. Um, but to your point, I think a lot of other other officers are that do respond become so frustrated that they, if you think about it, just sort of that pent up anger, that pent up frustration, can manifest itself in the incidents. That they do get involved in, and that's why we really, really need to emphasize getting help early, getting help often, and supporting the officers wherever we can, wherever we can. Because you know, if you think about the trauma with uh, some of the abuse victims that you deal with, Doctor Kelly, um, it's think of this: you have you have two tiers to an, an incident, right? You have the incident itself which is traumatic surely but in the the work that i do with police officers in these post-critical incident seminars that i do all over the country in fact i'm getting ready to do another one here soon in ohio <clears throat> and when the officers go around the room and they talk about their trauma and they'll talk about um shooting stabbings car chases fights dead babies uh rape victims, all these things that's traumatic but do you know what i hear do you know what i hear from the officers? that really bothers them the most was not even the incident. Because if you're a police officer, you kind of expect to run into those things. But to a person, what I always hear is, but I never felt like my agency supported me. I always felt like the agency was not behind me. I felt like the agency questioned me when, when I was there. And more time when you listen to them, and we'll do like 30 officers at a time, they will spend more time talking about how they felt mistreated by the organization than they did by the actual incident itself. So I always think that that's interesting. And and it's always a sign to me that the officers <clears throat> are crying out for, look, we understand this is a tough job. We understand this is traumatic. And all I ask is that you support me in this and support me in whatever way. And so then think about this, Dr. Kelly, what is the likelihood then that that very officer is gonna go back to that agency that they feel is traumatizing them and ask them for help?
1: Very little, Very little no chance, yeah. none. Very little. So when we look at <clears throat> when we look at that as a whole, we look at the treatment. What what what's best for these police officers as well? Obviously, uh, CBT is good. Exposure therapy is always good. EDMR or yeah. brain spotting, which we've started to do here, is always good. I, I take it that if a if an officer was because f- has it happens we just took on a police officer mention what city just in case but we just took on a police officer and uh, he is suffering badly from ptsd and trauma and depression and mike he's still active by the way yeah and he's had to come here does not want to pay for trail the usual stuff that we get here so our officers seeking help outside the sources that they can usually i mean is it natural for a police officer to go to a police therapist and then back into line of duty. <clears throat> I see them coming out. I see them coming away because they're not getting the treatment they have. And, and I think that's very important. It almost makes me angry when I look at the war veterans coming back and the homeless and they can't get any money. It's almost the same with the police officers. So we expect him to see things that we're not going to see because we don't want to deal with that. They're babies. Oh, my goodness. Don't even talk about that. But yet we expect him to go out next day and act normally. What about the right. families of, of, of the? What about the PTSD and trauma in the families of the police officers? So not only is the police officer suffering trauma from the event or, or many, many events, but his, his behavior at home is bringing out a whole new trauma set between the family yeah. And himself because I've not met one guy suffering from PTSD who wants to be this way by the way guys you know nobody wants to be this way and it's a whole different pool to look into to say how do we treat this because it eventually has to be a family illness you know even though you're a police officer
0: yeah well what look at the divorce <laughs> rate the divorce rate in um uh, like I, I I talk to police officers all the time, and and just so you know, I've I've been married this August will be 33 years wow. to the same to the same woman. Wow. So the guys that are out there, guys and gals, you can't add up five marriages and go. I have 33. years. <laughs> <laughs> In one woman. But but I will. But I'll tell you. Here's the sad thing, is when I go to conferences and I speak and I and I mention that I've been married to the one woman for 33 years. What do you think the reaction I get is? it people can't believe it because that's so unusual in my profession yeah, Exactly. to be married that long to one person the The divorce rate is horrendous for first responders, and what it what it what that means is it supports exactly what you're talking about is what is the effect on the family it it's it's devastating to the to the family and to go back to your your question you you said what do police officers do um I know that. So I'm I'm working up at a treatment center right now, and we get first responders. And to a person, without exception, they they walk in the door, and the first thing is, um, I don't want anybody here to know that I'm a cop. I don't want the other staff to know that I'm a cop, even though we do. Um, uh, hey, Mike, when I leave here, let's let's just take alcohol for example. I want to go to AA meetings, but. Get me a police meeting. I don't want to meet anybody in the public. I don't want anybody to know that I'm here. I don't want to talk to. Uh, can you guarantee me that my agency won't <clears throat> talk about this? You know, it privacy, privacy, privacy. Yeah. That's yeah. all they want. And imagine living in that world where you need help, you want help, you know that you need the help, but you're <clears throat> afraid to go to anybody that will help you, and you don't want anyone to know that you're seeking help because you perceive it as, as weakness and weakness is the one thing in this profession you're not allowed to ever demonstrate now right and we talked about that last week where you know the disease model as opposed to the moral model of addiction and i I will tell you the people of all the people that i work with the hardest people to sell on the the disease model of addiction and get out of this moral issue and weakness are first responders military by far the hardest clientele to work with on that or convinced that that it has nothing to do with them being a good or a bad person it has to do with them having trauma, illness, and a genetic predisposition towards these things. It's it's really hard to convince them of that.
1: And I'm hoping that this weekly show that we're doing will bring out, you know, if we save one officer, if we save one EMT, if we say you know, whatever it is, because as the audience grows, the more we'll get out. It is all about information is power. Education is power when you come to the disease of any addiction or the trauma or PTSD from events in the past and, and current events, you know, it's all about information because nobody's gonna ask the question in public. And that's the other thing that I've been fighting for fifteen years while I've been mm-hmm. over here in the United States, <clears throat> is that nobody wants to talk about it and, and nobody wants to own up for it. And I can yeah. categorically tell you guys that are listening that everybody knows somebody somebody's suffering from PTSD and trauma. And if the, and if you don't, it's probably you. Because everybody has some sort of trauma in their lives. Because as human beings, especially in 21st century, we're not supposed to be seeing some of the things we do. Right. I mean, you, you know, you don't have to be a police officer to suffer the trauma that they see. You just got to go on the internet and look at some of the body cams that's been leaked out to the public. And because you're seeing that, you're being affected by that. So it goes deep, deep, and deep. As a police officer comes to you, Michael, and he says to you, "I need help, Mike." What's the first thing you're going to tell him?
0: Well, the first thing I'm going to tell them is congratulations on taking that first step. Um, because along with what you were you were just saying, um, for every person that comes to me, there's probably 100,000, who knows how many people out there that need the same help and they will never get it. So I always congratulate them on the fact that they took that step and they've moved into that rarefied air realm where... They're one of the few people, they're one of the lucky ones that will will get that help. <clears throat> the second thing I, I tell them is that they, they, they're going to have to have that shift in the viewpoint and looking at what they're doing, shift from being a weakness to being strength and to realize that what happens to them is not unusual. Everybody that's in the profession is going through what they're going through to, you know, different stories and different scenarios, but they have that trauma and that they're going to have to be open, right? We talked about getting well. I was talking to somebody about this last week, you know, really into your brain, the, this acronym, how, how, this is how I get well. I need to be honest. So honesty, open-mindedness. I need to be open to new ideas. And most importantly, Dr. Kelly, be willing, willingness Honesty, open mindedness in a that there are that have gone through and they've gone on to get well and they can get well as long as they're open minded and are willing to take suggestions to, to get better and be open. And because I know in my own world that sharing my experiences with others helped me. And then I learned by helping others later, like I do now, continues to help me. And in fact, when I go and I work with other people, it probably helps me as much as it helps them and that they can do the same thing. But if they, if they talk to people that have gone through what they've gone through, then they can begin the process of healing because it can be done. And I think part of the trauma that people have is they think that they're alone and they're the only ones that are going through this. And then they think they're the only ones that their department or their agency is messed up and the bureaucracy is beating them down and they have the bad boss or that chief is, is out to get them. And when they realize that you can go to any agency in the country and they have those same situations, there's something um, soothing about that. There's something um, about knowing that you're not alone that is helpful. And that's, that's where I start with people and then we go from there.
1: That's brilliant, absolutely, guys. When I say thank you to somebody or I want to help somebody, dopamine is released into my brain. I like that. There's a correlation between <clears throat> suffering and helping. When we help somebody else after we've been through it, so what I would like every PTSD and trauma uh, person out there, I hate to say, victim, is to get treatment and then try and pass this on to as many people as you can, because then neural the pathways that lead to self-sabotage are yeah. ingrained into the brain when it comes to the trauma and PTSD. It's not an overnight matter. It's not as if addiction, you can you can solve that overnight. It's not the alcohol and you get down to it, it's other things, the same with trauma and PTSD. It's like a freeway out of your town or city. There's a normal freeway out, you take it, it's quicker, it's easy, it's wide, you can overtake people. What we're asking you in an early stage is to go down the side roads, go down the country roads to the destination. It's slower, but you'll find out over a period of time as you travel, the well worn road that will become easier and easier. So we can mold the brain neuroplasticity. We can mold the brain and we can kind of control the central nervous system to slow all, everything that's going on in the subconscious mind. <clears throat> so what happens with me is the subconscious mind starts first, so I don't know what's happening. Then my behavior will change or my actions will change and then it flips over to the prefrontal cortex and then I'm in trouble, real trouble. So A, there's help out there. B, this is a weekly show guys. are gonna do 30 minutes every single week on different subjects and different first responders, which is very interesting. If you have a topic regarding Trust responders or not that you want us to delve into, me and Michael to delve into, mm-hmm. then messages join the week <clears throat> I usually give the next week's topic. But I wanna wait for you guys to come and give us. So whether you're EMTR or EMT guys, or whether you're a soldier, or whether you're an officer, whatever it may be, we will address them if you write in. I wanna remind you guys if you just joined, I've just seen a few new people join Michael that Michael Van Meter is an ex FBI agent, is a retired agent. Mm-hmm. The information, the experience. So if you're suffering, guys, contact us. Myself and Michael will be only, only too willing. Like Michael just said, you're probably doing us the favor if you contact us for help. And if we can't help you, we will direct you somebody who can. You are not alone. The only it's funny you said that just to finish, Michael, you said we feel alone the only person that feels lonely is you the the guy listening to this everyone else is there for you you know it's like when we get into this trauma and depression and and we look from the outside it's like everybody loves your life but you because nobody sees what's going on on the inside yeah match the inside to the outside guys and we'll we'll be in a, a better world so for myself Dr. Rob Kelly and Michael Van Meter, such an amazing guy. We'll see you next week, Sunday, 9 o'clock. So here's what you do. You set the alarm for 8.30 because it's Sunday. You make yourself a nice cup of coffee. You get to a PC, phone, or laptop. You put it on and you listen to us for 30 minutes. And uh, you'll be educated. You'll start the day off well. And uh, we just love you. And we love you to join us every week, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you next week, guys. Have a fantastic week.
0: That was my interview with Dr. Rob Kelly. And I'm sure it was helpful for you guys. Take that information, give it to anyone that you know that suffers from addiction issues, uh, whether it be yourself, someone that you know, someone that you're concerned about, because this is something that we need to do. We need to educate the public about addiction and help them in any way that we can, folks, because we have so many conflicting messages out there in our society. And you're the ones that are going to learn about this and spread the good news of recovery. So with that, folks, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health, and according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty, so find out more at FHEHealth.com. You know, folks, you know, as always, I'd like to say I don't represent any group. You know, I don't represent anyone other than myself, and my only purpose for giving all of this information uh, that I share with you is so you can help others, because that's what we do in recovery. It's helped me. I know it's going to help others as well. Uh, you know, that's what we do in recovery. We try to help ourselves along the way, and we help to impart any knowledge that we've gained to help others as well. And hopefully that's what Dr. Rob and I have done with you today. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, com. Let me know how I'm doing, and let me know how if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing about, because I'd like to cover that. And I'd also like to hear from you, so reach out to us. You guys take care of yourselves, and we'll be talking with you next time.
1: Bye-bye.